Greetings to everyone from the Saints at the Father's Church of Tucson in Southern Arizona, and from me, Teresa Smith. I am the pastor here at the Father's Church of Tucson. As always, it is my very great privilege to share with you some of my thoughts here on the Voices broadcast. And I'm so thankful for the various means the Lord is using to keep us aligned as saints as we go forward in these incredible days, partaking of the same spiritual food and drink that keeps us knit together as one before the throne of God. These are days like no others that I have ever experienced, and I'm pretty sure that most of you around the world would say the exact same thing. God's plan is unfolding at a very rapid pace, and we are most blessed to be part of that plan. In this, I just pray that we will remain strong and steadfast, that we'll be unwavering in our faith, devoted to the Father, and continuing consistent in prayer. Prayer is the tool that we've been given to partner with God and to change the atmospheres that surround us. Um, a few weeks ago, during a Sunday sermon, Apostle Ron challenged us to lay hold of the things that God has spoken to us in the past, because God means what he says, and he hasn't changed his mind. Since then, I've been thinking of many of the spiritual encounters I've had, and I've been bringing to memory the words that God has spoken to me personally, or for my church as well. God moves us forward sometimes so rapidly that I find that at times it is challenging to lay hold of the old and still embrace the new. So one or the other seems to get away from me. But scripture does say in Philippians 3, uh, 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But this doesn't mean that we're to totally forget the things that God has spoken. If that's what it meant, then the Bible would mean nothing to us. And instead, it is our only rule for faith and life. So it's very important to lay hold of those things. And sometimes we can gain great spiritual truth from aligning what has been spoken, what was, with what now is and what is yet to come. And so that's what I've been trying to do. As we look back over our spiritual journeys, perhaps we all find that there are some spiritual encounters that are defining moments in our spiritual lives. It was in places like this that Old Testament individuals built stone altars, memorials before the Lord, so that they wouldn't be forgotten. Maybe in some way we should also do such things, figure out how to memorialize our moments so that we don't forget them in the fray of life. During one of the defining moments of my own spiritual journey, the Lord quickened to me a passage of scripture and said that it would become a life verse for me. Does anyone say that anymore, life verse? A life verse is a verse or passage of scripture that in some way defines your life before God. It becomes a touch point in your spiritual walk. It establishes a place of intimacy with God, and it's a reminder of his constant love and his presence in our daily lives, no matter what is going on around us. In any case, 
the Lord led me to Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. And that's what I'm going to share with you today, because I've been thinking about those kinds of things. And so if you want to follow along, you can open your Bible to Psalm 63, and we will look at it together for just a few minutes. Now, when I first heard this verse, it was in the NIV, and I always like to tell people that I was saved in NIV, Although I now read the King James or the New King James, much of my early scripture memory is in the NIV. And sometimes I know verses in the NIV and then I read them in the King James. And it's the difference that gets me thinking and wondering why things were translated one way or another as they were. So that's one reason I'm so thankful for the invention of Bible software on the computer that makes word study so easy for us. I am by no means uh, any kind of a scholar of uh, Hebrew or Greek, but the computer programs allow me to study anyway, and for that, I am most grateful. So that's what happened in this case and why I began to study Psalm 63. So I'm happy to share with you what I'm finding. So let's read the passage. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and weary land and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, what got me going right away was the beginning of this passage where it says, O oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. The NIV says instead, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. I felt like there was a difference between seeking earnestly and seeking early, and so off I went to see what I could find. And this is what I've discovered. It says, O oh God, you are my God. First of all, this verse shows the psalmist holding on tightly to God as his own. Let's pray that this is our cry too. Oh God, you are my God. This this first word, by the way, for God is Elohim. And the second is El. In case you were wondering, because of all the studies we've done for the for the names of God. But then it says, early will I seek you. Or earnestly I seek you. There is, course, of course, a wonderful blessing in seeking God early in the morning. First thing, making God the first thing. Scripture does say, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But I think after studying all I could about this word, which is sehar, that it truly does mean earnestly or diligently. It means more than just getting up early in the morning, although getting up early in the morning can be a sign that we're, stud that we're pursuing God earnestly. But what if you're not a morning person but a night owl? You can still diligently seek him. He is your passion. He is what drives you. He is what you want. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. It's not about the time of day as much as putting him first in your seeking and to be earnest in that pursuit. 
You will seek him and find him when you search for him with all your heart. I read that somewhere. The psalm goes on to say, My soul thirsts for him, my flesh longs for him. The soul, our inner being, our thoughts and emotions, and the body, our humanity, yearns for him. The whole man longs for God. And in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, you know, I grew up living in in the Arizona desert. If you follow me at all on Facebook, you've seen that I have been posting about the drought that we're having here. I understand a dry and thirsty land. And right now in the drought that we're in, there used to be water holes and ponds where water was available to wildlife, but those are long since dried up. And all the animals are coming to the areas where we have water for the livestock. It's fun to see the wildlife, but it's so sad to know that they are here close by because they are terribly thirsty. The ground is cracked and dry. This is a dry and thirsty land where no water is. This is a weary land. It is a destitute and infertile land at this time. And this is what it's talking about in this passage. This is like... Our need for God. This need for water is just like that. This is the kind of longing where we don't just want something. We know that if we don't have it, we will perish and we will remain infertile. It goes on in verse 2 and it says, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. We look for him in the sanctuary. This word look is our word ra'ah. We are so familiar with that word. It's an experiential word. It was interesting to me that the next sentence that says, to see your power and your glory, is actually a different word that they used for see. It is hazah, and it has more of a meaning of seeing God, of having prophetic vision and insight. My study said that it was a more poetic word for see. We have looked for him in the sanctuary. And, you know, when I read sanctuary, I always think of the church sanctuary in Dallas. And it's a place set apart for God's presence. And if you've been there, you've no doubt felt his presence there. And so that may be something that you think of, too. But sanctuary can be any holy thing or something that's consecrated to sacredness or set apart for sacred use. And we look for God in these kind of places, whether it's in a natural place or a church place or your own prayer place. We look for him to see his power and his glory, his awes and his kabod. I've heard kabod described as the weighty presence of God. It is the honor and glory, majesty of our God. And when we say, so I have looked for you, even the word so means more than since I've been looking for you in the sanctuary, God, it means to stand upright and established. We are established in him. And because of that, we have come to expect that he would come to the sanctuary, this holy place. It is not to be put into common use, lest it become profane or common. But God's presence is what makes a person or a place holy. We look for him in the sanctuary to see his power and his glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, it says in verse 3, my lips shall praise you. Loving kindness is chesed, one of the foundational aspects of God's character, his kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, justice, his loving kindness is eternal along with his love. It is better than life. It is tobe. 
So this phrase that says is better than life, the word is that it's tobe. It is in the good plan of God. And because of this, our lips shall praise him. As people who use our lips for diverse tongues, who know that we must pray, who believe that everything starts with a voice, we must make sure our lips are praising him. Have you been, become casual with the words of your mouth? Our lips should be praising him because his loving kindness is better than life. And because of that, our lips praise him. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. We should bless him and lift up our hands in his name. We bend our knee in worship. This is Barak worship. We've studied that word, Barak, to bend the knee in worship. In his name, God's name is who he is. I am who I am, he says. We don't worship anyone but him. He satisfies us. Our soul that was thirsting is satisfied. And then it goes on and it has this about, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. That's interesting. These are the best parts, the marrow and fatness. You know, we don't think of that anymore. We're too busy trying to eat vegan, fat-free, everything else. But in this culture, when this was written, these were the best parts. These were the parts that were given in sacrifice. These, In the very best way, God satisfies our soul. Do you ever find yourself with a vague longing that you can't fill? You can't eat that away. You can't drink that away. People try that. You can't drug that or Netflix binge watch or art it away or music it away or whatever. You just can't get rid of it. Only God satisfies and only God can truly satisfy our souls. And because of that, we praise him with joyful lips. Our physical mouth and our speech should praise him with singing and laughter and shouting. We have joyful lips. Again, another use of our voice, another use of our lips, another reference to it. Just in these eight verses, I think there were three places that it talked about our our lips or our voice or what we say. We have to remember that what we say and what we do with our voice really does matter. In verse 6, it says, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. In ancient Israel, remembering was a major aspect of proper worship, as it should be today. We don't dwell in the past. You know, there are all the cutesy little memes about why the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. We don't dwell in the past. Nope. But we do remember. Remembering can be an act of worship. Think of all the many times in scripture, like I said earlier, that a marker, an altar, a memorial was built to remember and remind others. We remind ourselves and we remind the others that come behind us. You know, we've talked a lot about those that are going to come along beside us or behind us through this this trail that we're blazing forward. And maybe there, we need to leave markers, um, altars, memorials along the way to remind and remember. Sometimes I think that we easily forget and perhaps we need to allow God to teach us to become a people who remember I don't think this means that we stay awake at night. 
tossing and turning and worry because we can't forget about something that's making us fret. That's not what it means about remembering on our bed in the night watches. I think it's more intentional remembering. It is remembering and recounting the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the plan of God. This is how we meditate on him in the night watches in the place of intimate commune which is what I would say the bed represents, intimate commune. We encourage ourselves in the Lord in this way. In verse 7 it goes on and it says, Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Because God has been my aid and assistance, because you've been my help, Lord, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. This is a place of safety and security. I know I'm hidden there in his shadow. Again, as a people who move in diversities of tongues, here we are again rejoicing. We are lifting our voice. In verse 8 it says, My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul, my inner being with all of my thoughts and emotions, follows close behind God. It was interesting. This word means that we cling to him like leprosy clings to a body. You just can't get rid of it. Or the scales of a crocodile cling to each other. What a picturesque word. How much can he influence my thoughts and emotions if I'm sticking to him this closely? I'm sticking like glue. Then his right hand upholds me. The right is indicative of being just and morally correct. And we are sons at his right hand as he rules and reigns. And there he upholds us. He grasps us firmly and he supports us. That's what upholds means. I don't know about you, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Join me today in saying, as in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. I am seeking you with all that I am. And I will use my voice to praise you in joyful ways. I bless you, dear saints, and I am praying for you all around the world, wherever you are. We love you so much. Be abundantly blessed as we all go forward in him. Amen. Amen.